Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast. My name is Andrew Romeo and my co-host Anthony Sapunzas joined me today. We interviewed Brian Ruddle. Now, Brian Ruddle is from Impact Innovation, a business where he's been running for about 13 years now, um, helping startups and also corporates with their innovation processes and strategies. Brian's been involved in the startup world. He's started up over four companies and also now helping and advising on different um, startups as well. One of the things that Brian said to me when I first met him was around ID complexity. How we can sometimes think about an idea or the problem we're trying to solve and focus in on that and not understand really the full gamut of what we really need to know around our ideas and even our business models and how we're going to drive those into the marketplace. Today we had a really good chat to Brian around what are the key components of um, an idea and the complexity in the business models and we took a deep dive into each of those components. I think it was about, yeah, 10 to 15 of these components. So have a good listen. Um, and some of these, the idea of this is um, understanding where your gaps lie if you're in startup worlds or if you're in new product development, knowing where to look next and to fill in those assumptions that you may have. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Now, Brian, um, you're from uh, Impact Innovation. Now, tell us a little bit, a bit about Impact Innovation and what you're all about. Yeah, sure. So um, we've been going for a bit over 13 years now. Uh, we started off uh, doing a lot of work with startup companies, uh, particularly out of research organisations like universities and the like, um, and then started moving more and more into uh, corporate innovation. Uh, so uh, now we've uh, grown to a team of uh, about 25. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. We operate across the Asia-Pacific region. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we do a lot of things around um, innovation systems for uh, large corporates. Um, that's around how they find ideas, how they assess them, how they actually mm -hmm. you know, turn them into new products and services and processes. Yes. Uh, we do a lot of commercialization still with startups and, and universities. Mm -hmm. uh, we work a lot with government agencies on designing uh, new programs okay, and then a lot of skills development work as well. So it, it's, it's varied. Um, yeah, it is I suppose that yeah. the key, the key focus though is mm -hmm. uh, it has to be new to market type things that we do. Okay. So it can be new to market still in startup land um, or in the corporate world. So where would you say you're spending most of your time at the moment? Is it 50, 50 or what does that look like percentage wise? Uh, yeah, it, it's probably close to 50-50. Okay. Um, it, it, it varies. Uh, we're getting a lot more interest on uh, on corporate innovation mm -hmm. um, at the moment, mainly because we're very focused on practical outcomes. Okay. Uh, so um, I suppose a lot of corporates are starting to move away from, uh, well, some people call it theatre. We call it innovation gambling. Um, <laughs> gambling. Where they right. just sort of throw, well, it's like going to the yeah. casino. People are just throwing money at innovation, hoping for yes. an outcome. Yeah, uh, yeah. Whereas what we can do is show them that you can put a system in place mm -hmm. uh, to reduce risk and actually get an outcome that's going to add value to the business. Okay, interesting. System, what's an example of a system that you might put in place? Yeah, so um, it can be around, um, I suppose, uh, where you're going to find ideas, mm -hmm. uh, how you're going to assess ideas, okay. um, how you engage with team members to, um, you know, to bring together validation, you know, or mm -hmm. proof of concept teams. Yes. Um, budget. So there's a whole range of things. There's actually um, 
So there's innovation standards, innovation management standards mm -hmm. currently being brought together. Um, so there's 43 countries that have been working on that. Uh, I'm actually chair of uh, the Australian committee that's involved with bringing together these um, international innovation management standards. Okay. And yeah, it, it's um, it's like a lot of other things. It's um, it's putting systems in place to drive outcomes, and, so and that's what we're trying to achieve. Will that be standards that'll be used to help people get certified, or Probably is it not. more just yeah. things like a industry standards to follow and guidelines and rules rather than a certification? Yeah, it's it's not like the you know ISO nine thousand or a lot of other standards. Mm -hmm. It's more trying to. Um, I suppose, yeah, put a benchmark in place around how systems can drive outcomes okay. and to encourage uh, organisations to focus on the systems rather than, you know, just running a hackathon or, mm. you know, doing something in an ad hoc sort of way. Um, so, yeah, so the, the intent isn't that they're going to be compliance standards, uh, but they're guiding standards. Okay. Oh, very good. So how long have you had that role for? What does it sort of look like? It's only really recent. So Australia was a bit of a latecomer to the whole mm -hmm. process. Uh, so the committee was formed late last year. Uh, and so I was asked if I'd like to chair the committee. And so we actually have our, our second committee meeting uh, tomorrow. Oh, so, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of things happening. We've got three, there's three standards that have been published, international standards that have been published so mm -hmm. far. Uh, there's about another five that are in development. So yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be interesting, and it's going to add a lot of value to uh, corporates yes. that are doing mm -hmm. innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, for our startup clients, it doesn't really matter; it doesn't link in. But okay, uh, it. but it's it's part of building this innovation mm -hmm. ecosystem. Though no, I understand that. See, like, and we've been involved in it. Like corporates attempting to invest in new technology and like you said they might throw money at a hackathon they might group together some things but then those ideas generally go nowhere because it's just a one-off thing that they do um, and it's not a continuous thing they're building into their model so something like that may impact the way people approach it moving forward yeah yeah no, what exactly. outcomes are you looking to deliver from that uh, so, so look, I suppose part of it is the professionalization of innovation mm -hmm. um, so that it, it moves past the uh, we like playing with shiny new things yes. element to <laughs> we're doing innovation to drive profitability and growth of our business mm. type approaches. Yeah, that's it's more of a getting really strategic about innovation, not just something you do at an ad hoc experience. Yeah, very good. That's really good background about who you are and um, where you sort of come from and Impact Innovation obviously been around for a little, little while now, 13 years, so quite a bit of experience and team that you would have. What's, um, so we're obviously about the Everready Podcast, it's about helping non-techs build better products. So uh, what we wanted to talk to you about today was around um, idea development and what that actually means. Now, you've worked on a model that you've built over time with your customers. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, it came about... Oh, probably about eight months or so ago now, okay. um, we were talking to a lot of our, our clients and we were talking about, I, I suppose, the, the complexity around turning an idea or a research outcome into a product or service. Mm -hmm. And um, you were getting a lot of blank looks. You know, blank looks. It was, it was actually, well, well it, it, it was hard because yeah. often you, you, mm -hmm. you're talking to people, whether they're startup founders or within a corporate environment, yes. they've never done it before. Mm. So you start talking about the complexity and mm -hmm. it's hard to grasp 
well, what could go wrong? What are the key things to look out for? And so what we ended up doing is we um, we built a complexity diagram uh, okay. and mm-hmm. uh, we went and had a, you know, our part of the team, we sat down and we started looking at, well, where were we seeing a lot of uh, client projects going off the rails mm-hmm. uh, and where, you know, where we seen non-clients completely go off the rails and, um, and started to sort of identify, if you like, key areas that anyone, whether uh, they're a startup founder or, as I said, within a corporate environment or within a government environment, mm-hmm. if they're, they're trying to turn an idea into something tangible, just to give them some guidance about what to look out for, not just one time, but continuously through the whole process. And I mean, you mentioned continuously through the whole process. Now, innovation like is not a one-time thing. It's generally something you're continuously doing. So how did you frame that model with um, your clients and what sort of areas does it dive into? Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, so the framing is more around, uh, I suppose, project management and that okay. the operating environment that you're working in is constantly changing. So to, and I'll, I'll talk a bit about the model in a moment, but just to give one example, let's say an understanding of, uh, of where competitors are, are at. Mm-hmm. You might think you know that now, but in six months' time, that could completely change. There could be uh, new competitor products on the market, there could be uh, changes in legislation. Yeah. There could be uh, a whole range of other things that could come into play. That if you're not constantly scanning and checking, mm-hmm. you might say, oh, yeah, I've ticked the box, I've checked on competitors or I've checked on regulatory, everything's sweet. But you can get to the end and you might have spent a heck of a lot more time and money and you've got a product that isn't going to compete for whatever reason or isn't going to work. Get so mm. so a lot of this is um, is constantly, you know, good project management skills, constantly mm-hmm. checking, looking yep. at what could go wrong and making sure that you've got, you know, as many facts as you possibly can. Yeah, so you mentioned facts as you possibly can, but like you said, I think we can all get a little bit lost around building a business model right at the beginning or, or a business yeah. plan, for example, um, and then, all right, this is the idea we're working on, and you do, yeah, you do SWOT analysis, you do competitor analysis, you use those basic metrics, but I think checking in continuously is very a good insight for some people that don't do that, so they might do it at the start. We've heard stories of people that are building product and then they basically had to stop because there was a product released that was basically five, ten times ahead of where they were and they basically were never going to catch up. So sometimes, yeah, keep your eye out. It's a very interesting insight there. It's always having a look and assessing. So we see it from just the software side. Mm-hmm. If they're using the Agile framework, you need to be able to constantly assess and evaluate where things are going Yes, and not just be flexible for the sake of being flexible because you're using the term Agile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yep. And that's it. And um, this is something we say to a, a lot of clients because agile, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lean startup, all of these terms are, are constantly used. Um, but agile doesn't mean that you don't have a plan, exactly. that you don't check on things. Correct. You know, <laughs> it's not yet. As, so, as you wake up, you decide to do something yes. different. It's not what it means. Correct. It's yeah. having a plan and a direction and yes. just constantly pushing, uh, adjusting that course. Yes. No, exactly. I, I think that's people, a perception out there what Agile actually means. I don't think people get it. Like Agile, yeah, ability to change. All it means is you've got the ability to change. And that's that's like you're checking in, right? So I think that's an important yeah. point that you've raised there. Yeah. 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 
So, so, yeah, so the, I suppose some of the things that we talk to a lot of our clients about with this with this model um, are things like ongoing customer insights. You know, are, are you constantly uh, identifying those customer insights, but also understanding uh, where you're getting those insights from? Uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of people have seen the innovation adoption curve. The um, you know, you've got your innovators, early adopters, early majority, mm -hmm. late majority, and laggards uh, in, a, in a bell curve. Yes. And um, you need to understand where you're getting your feedback from. Are you getting customer feedback from innovators who like playing with shiny new things? Are you getting mm -hmm. feedback from you know, a late majority type client and trying to understand mm -hmm. what it is mm -hmm. they're wanting in, a, in an end product? Mm -hmm. And so... We talk to a lot of people about understanding where you're getting the information from, uh, not just uh, you know going with those that, you know, again, as I said, if you, if you go with those that like playing with shiny new things, you'll often end up building something that mm -hmm. the majority of the market just doesn't want or doesn't need. A very yeah. interesting point. Yeah. You, you don't yeah. want to respond to the noisy minority. Yes. Correct. That's a term I've read online, yeah. yeah. And I'm guessing that information yep. would probably start with them initially because they're who you have got on board. Mm. And then that where you're getting the information would adjust as the curve changes as well. That's correct. Yep, that's exactly it. And it's it's just being aware of, uh, yeah, constantly expanding the horizon a little bit because mm -hmm. the bell curve is really important because mm -hmm. um, your innovators are a really small market or a small percentage, if you like, of the total market that you're mm -hmm. going for. You want the the middle part, you know, the early majority, late majority. And so at some particular point in time, you need to start listening to those people around yeah. what do they actually need. Um, when would you start that? Because, like Anthony sort of alluded to, you're going to be really working with the innovators. Those early, very early adopters are going to take on the product. How do you tap, touch upon those other people really yeah. – those late majority could be people that have got no interest in something new oh. at all. Um, probably don't even want to have a conversation about something new. So what sort of um, angles could you try to tap into that market? Yeah, it, look, and it's hard. And again, I've been involved with a number of startups. I've mm -hmm. you know, founded four of them and, and things like that. And, okay. and often when you're getting customer insights, you're mm -hmm. looking for people that agree with you. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is no, because yeah. you, you're trying to yeah. build evidence. Yes. You yeah. Like. Yeah. And it's a natural tendency, but mm. sometimes it's really good to find out why people don't like what you're doing. Get it. Um, mm -hmm. And so we often talk to people about sort of really understanding what does no mean. So okay. uh, so let's say you're talking to a potential you know customer group, and they say no, uh, we think your idea won't work. Well. If you leave it at that, then you're not really gaining much in the way of insights because you don't know whether no means I had a crap night's sleep and I really don't have the time to talk to you today yep. or uh, no, um, you know, we, we've already just put in a new system and there's no way in the world we're going to change. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if, if you don't anything. start yeah, if delving you don't down in. into the, yeah, yeah. yeah. if you don't delve into the no, yeah. it, it's hard to get those insights. Yeah, so that's probably a good thing for anyone listening out there is to ask why and yes. dive into yeah. whatever the answer is. Even if it is yes, they could just be saying yes just to get you to be quiet. <laughs> it's the same result as a no. <laughs> it doesn't mean no, that, that, it is a product. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, that's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly it. And yeah. so it, it's those customer insights are really important. But as I said, it's finding out, working out, well, 
where are they coming from? How do they fit within your target market? But then understanding what those insights are. That's, yep. It's always um, an interesting one. It's all about those asking, I've heard this many times, the five whys, the end of the root reason why. So you might ask why the first time they don't want to use it. Oh, just not interested in a new product. And then you might dig in further. Oh, last time we had a new product, it all failed. And then you might start learning about their experiences the more you can dig in. But it's all about building that rapport with your customer too that you're potentially talking to. Yeah. Yep. No, exactly. No, yep. Very, very good. Yeah, so, uh, so another thing um, that we talk to a lot of people about is around adoption costs mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, I suppose another way of terming that is, you know, the perceived value okay. um, yeah. that the customers are, are getting out of a particular product. Um, and and I, I suppose we use the example uh, in a workshop environment uh, a lot of uh, if I was a, a brand new telco and uh, I could save the people in the room 10% off their personal mobile phone bills, how many people would change? Mm. And in a workshop situation, say you've got 30 people in the room, you might end up with one or two people. And then I say, well, okay, what if I could save you 20% and you might get a few more and then yeah. 30%, you generally get a lot more again. Yep, okay. And and we sort of use that as an example in a workshop setting just to drive home that, um, mm. you know, depending on the product or the service, mm-hmm. but 10% often doesn't cut it. Mm. Um Get the it. value that people perceive versus the cost mm-hmm. of change mm. really has a, a, a marked impact in terms of whether someone will change, you know, adopt something new and, and change the way that they're doing things. Yep. So if so, it's a lot of effort to go through something, that's yeah. a high cost. Yes, to them. Well, they perceive it as a cost, right? And yep. the more, and, and we're talking about just changing your phone, right? Um, I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever, I've changed my phone provider in about six or seven years. Um, and a 10% cost isn't going to impact me either. Um, just because you know that works, they're doing a good job. And um, yeah, my phone works all the time. Um, yeah, so very interesting point around the yeah, perception of what it costs to move. Because yeah, we, I think people don't like change. No one likes change, um, and if it's a minimal output or value, then you're not going to get much people moving. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and and the thing that we talk to a lot of uh, clients about with that is, is understanding risk from the customer's perspective. Okay. Um, if um, yeah, you know, if the cost of the new product or service is a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. well the risk profile if they change is probably going to be lower and unless it impacts on other systems or other mm-hmm. other things that's of value to the individual. You get into some expensive uh, plays and we've seen a lot of enterprise software plays where, you know, they're talking, you know, eighty, hundred thousand dollar licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can mean people's jobs in terms of early adopters. If they yep. take a punt and they give it a go and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it can yes. big consequences. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, if you're sitting so, in, a, in a corporate job and you're making those decisions and it all blows over, yeah, it can be back of that you haven't hit your KPIs, you've put our company at risk, and then all of a sudden, yeah, it's not a good position to be in. Yeah, mm. and, and it comes back to what we were talking about before. It, it's, you know, what does it take to change? And mm-hmm. You know, for an individual, it could be really simple. It's a, a new app or something like that, or it fixes a problem. And so the risk reward is in favour of change. You get into corporate environments and government environments. Um, you might have a great bit of software or a new widget, but it's how does that fit into the overall system? 
as well. Yeah, and so it can the, cost, mm. the cost of adoption goes up quite significantly in a lot of cases because it, it impacts on other areas. That's an interesting train of thought here. So when you're working, and I don't know about your startup experience, but if you're looking at different models, would you um, consider looking at if you could roll out your model to a corporate world and get 10, 20, 30 clients at two, 300K per annum, um, that's one option. Or could you consider trying to tweak your concept and idea to hit a mass market and reduce your cost? Obviously, that might be a safer play given what you're saying here. Yeah, reduce the risk for all those customers potentially yes. as well mm. if it's less cost but depending on what it impacts. Yeah. Especially yeah. if it's like an operational tool or... Yeah, it, it really depends on the product and yeah. and where that mm. nice fit is. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, when, when we talk about adoption costs, often it's a case of talking to those early customers and, and even asking the basic question of how would you yeah. sell this to yourself? Um, mm. What okay. are the, the key key features? What's the the value proposition, if you like, that you would sell to yourself? Um, and it could be something very, it, it may be around ease of adoption, it may be price, it might be whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, sometimes people go for the, the big ticket items, others go for, you know, uh, mass market, it, it, mm-hmm. but it depends on the product or service and what they're trying to achieve as to mm. where, you know, which way it should go. No, yep. very interesting, yeah, sort of concept around that. So I like the question around how would you sell to yourself because I think... Um, when we dig in, I think that's a really good question around what, even when you go down to the level of what you're going to be building, um, we can design a concept, an idea, and then basically have a million and one things we might want to throw into this thing. But a good question is, what do you need to be able to sell to yourself and what features, what functions would be a great little place to start for some people thinking out there? Yep. Yep. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, other things that we see, in, you know, getting back to this complexity mm. uh, model, is just around IP issues, yep. regulatory. Mm-hmm. Um, we come across a, a lot of uh, startups that uh, try to take, if you like, the Uber approach of not caring that they're breaking the law. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a good approach, isn't it? <laughs> Uber's probably the only one that's done it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they 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 managed to get there, but it yep. doesn't work for everyone. We've no. seen a lot of major failures because uh-huh. um, everyone thought that oh yeah, no, look, we'll just keep ploughing ahead, and um, yeah, things will change around us. Uh, but mm. if they don't change, then the the you know the business is is not Never going to go anywhere. Yeah, it's not viable. I can think of a problem with that with those scooters and e-bikes that they try and roll out yes. in the cities. Here in Victoria, you have to have a helmet to ride one of those and that's probably why those things have failed mm. no one carries a helmet with them no one wants to borrow someone else's helmet <laughs> yeah yeah so that's yeah we're they're pushing people hopefully break the law but no one wants to get a fine by riding a bike to risk riding a yeah. bike yeah it doesn't make any sense no one's carrying yeah. a helmet in their back pocket are they uh, that's no. it that's it <laughs> yeah and, and and so the the re- and, and where regulatory really starts to impact is when you start to grow mm-hmm. so you might be able to get away without it uh when you're small, but as soon as you start to try to get decent investment in, uh, whether it's through VCs or angel groups or corporate investment, uh, they're going to check on that regulatory and you're going to have to comply. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, they'll see it as, as problematic. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the bigger thing is when you start looking at international markets, your IP and your regulatory uh, you know, basically has to be market by market. 
mm-hmm. and you need to understand what that looks like so that you know you've got the you know the capital backing the approach and things like that to be able to grow yeah, and you mentioned market by market. I think um, being Australia, we can be in a little bit of a bubble and we can work within our own environments, but maybe some of us are not actually exploring what other opportunities are yeah. there because there's so much opportunity in the Asia, Asia areas at the moment. I think you mentioned you're working in Asia Pacific. Yeah, you are. Yes, yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of opportunity growing out of there and obviously the US is, an, is, a, is a monster over there. Nice. So. Not just that, it also yeah. affects the product that you're developing as of well, course. potentially to be able to be yeah. flexible enough to mm-hmm. cater for that. Yep. So, right. yeah, we've been in talks with a client recently and they've got global expansion on their mind, but they haven't thought about how they're even going to roll that in Australia, let alone the other countries yet. They're that early of a stage, but mm. they didn't think about like tax implications in selling things overseas, which mm. is something they have to comply by. Mm. Yeah. And, and particularly from your side, like from a build perspective, they're major considerations that yeah. if you need to build in how to handle you know, different VAT percentages, GST percentages, mm-hmm. whatever, mm. you, you want to be aware of, you know, how to sort of build that into the system. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah a small change while from the surface might look simple or superficial, there can be a lot of stuff going underneath under, under the surface to make that look simple. Yep. So, yeah, it's always best to know up front. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's a case of looking at regulatory and, and realising that other countries may be a bit easier to get into. Um, we've had a, a few scenarios over the years where uh, actually going through, say, the US regulatory system, I know this might sound weird, but is actually easier than going through the Australian for okay. a particular type of product. Interesting. Um, yeah, okay. But it depends on what you're trying to do and where you're uh-huh. going. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, we've again where we've seen failure points is people not realising, even from a software perspective, mm-hmm. uh, that they they should be going through say TGA, Therapeutic Goods Administration, mm-hmm. regulatory yeah. compliance, because it, it's in the health space or measurement space or or whatever. And so it's really important that you know, businesses really understand that. Now, to understand that, where would they generally turn to? Who would, could be good advisors in, the, in that space? If they're basically, yeah, like you said, building a product in the health space, um, yep. if you're not uh, consuming, you wouldn't assume that would be the, the approach. But, yeah, generally there could be, and there's data implications around that and from technical as to where the data is stored, if you go on a patient route, who should they be talking to around this sort of stuff? Yep. Yeah, and look, a, a lot of us talking to people that are, that are in the industry okay. um, and... Uh, checking things out, like you know, from an IP perspective, you know, go to IP Australia, their, their website. Um, you know, if you're talking about regulatory, it could be anything from um, you know, industry specific to the the TGA. You know, in the ag space, there's the um, what they call the APVMA, so the Australian Pesticide and Veterinary Medicine Authority. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got food standards. Uh, so there's a, and then you know, even from a, an overall standards perspective, um, you know, Standards Australia have got you know all the standards around different widgets and things like that that uh, that people need to be aware of. So mm-hmm. so it's it's a case of I suppose asking the question more than anything else, and then mm-hmm. continually asking it to make sure that what you're building and what you're doing uh, either complies or you know a path to compliance. Yeah, so that'll be trying to find specific legal counsel or an industry-specific consultant or advisor that works with other companies to get most of the information. 
Mm. Yeah, look, that's basically it. So say in fintech, um, yep. talk to people that are, are, are playing in the fintech space and just ask, well, what are the regulatory considerations that we need to take into account? Mm -hmm. If it's in um, an engineering space, just ask the question, what yeah, what do we need to take into account as we roll this thing out? And, and that's the problem. Um, when you're talking to a lot of corporates, they just assume that yeah, everyone okay. knows because mm -hmm. they're in the game. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so it's really a case of asking the question. That's a good question. I, I think you mentioned yeah, ask people in the industry because they're going to know who the regulatory advisor, who the boards are, what you need to comply to. They're going to have a rough idea, and at least they're going to set you on the path, right? Of yeah. all right, maybe look at this at least, and they'll give you some sort of direction. So, good point in terms of asking the people in the industry. So another thing that we've uh, been talking to a lot of companies about is is around proof of concept data and what information they're actually trying to collect. Uh, so we see a lot of. Um, money being wasted mm -hmm. on on proof of concept and validation being wasted uh, in, in what way yeah, oh, yeah because they focus on the wrong information they're collecting so okay. they might uh say for example um you've got a widget and you're testing it out with the market uh as to whether uh it meets a market need mm -hmm. um you can do that and you can uh, spend a lot of time and effort on that but if you're not collecting data on price point at the same time, you might have a perfect widget and they're all saying, yep, this is fantastic. Mm. But because you haven't actually tested out the, uh, you know, around the revenue model, for example, yeah, and you, tested that out, you've got a fantastic widget no that pay for meets it. everyone's requires, but no yeah. one's going to pay yeah. for it. Get it. I understand. Okay. Yeah, so um, um, understanding all the facets of the business model before yeah. you just build a product. So it's not just, I think we can all get a little bit lost in the product and what it actually does to, um, yeah. and then not look around how the business model is going to operate, how we're going to actually make money from this. Is the customer actually going to part with their, their money to actually buy value from you? Um, yeah. And that's probably bigger questions than the product itself. Um, are you solving a, a big enough problem for them to actually um, perceive value in what you're doing? Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. And, and that's the way that we, we tend to, um, I suppose, pitch it to a lot of our clients. It, it's thinking of what information, so for, with designing a proof of concept project, what sort of information do you need to collect to convince a customer or if you're collecting information to convince an investor? But like, what, what, what is it that you need to collect to convince them that it's worthwhile taking this thing forward? So often there's product and service features, but yes. there's all of these other elements that come into play. And mm. so part of it is sort of understanding what data needs to be collected and then collect that data as part of the, the proof of concept process. So you would spend a bit of time obviously researching and digging into what data I should collect, not just going out and asking, is my product fantastic and will it solve your problem? Yeah, that's, that's a good point because we can jump ahead three or four steps especially when we're caught up in an idea now we all have our own ideas and we can get by pretty easy and we're probably our best salesman to ourselves about our own concepts so um, we're probably just pitching that and then talking to customers so yeah looking at the business model is a really good point and then different areas around that yeah yep and, and so that's sort of where we, we see yeah it's really important just to understand why you know what is your trying what again it's the data but it's also um and I suppose it comes back to a broader thing around what is commercialization. Um, so we, we tend to define it as just a process of replacing assumptions with facts. So you mentioned earlier on around uh, the business model canvas. Mm -hmm. 
Um, when you do one of those, essentially what you're doing is writing down a heap of assumptions. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what you're doing um, in a room. It's all coming out of your head or a few people maybe, but not the market. Yep. yep. And yep. so then the commercialization process is go continue, you're going through all of those elements and basically collecting evidence to back it all up. Um, so the, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, so we were doing some work with an ag startup and we were targeting um, targeting multinationals and uh, we knew we were going to have to do, uh, do another capital raise okay. and that we needed to validate the, the revenue model mm-hmm. because I couldn't go to the, the investors for the next round saying, trust me, multinationals <laughs> will pay. Get it. So we had an, <laughs> we had an assumption around what the revenue model was going to be, but yes. I needed facts. Uh-huh. And so we actually put in place a, our proof of concept project was to do a couple of really early deals. Um, and the whole focus of those deals was just to validate the revenue model. Okay, so getting an understanding of if it's actually going to be paid for. So that would be right. signing up actual customers, not just surveying if they'd be happy to pay X, Y, or Z. And so uh, with that, it, and it wasn't the customer paying for the product. Like we had a, for that particular one, it was uh, a collaborative research project, mm-hmm. but we had it validated that if that project was successful, then this was the royalty rate that they would pay. So mm-hmm. we weren't proving that we had revenues coming in, but yep. I was proving that they had signed up to this agreement. And it was, again, it was a step or two away from trust me, this will work. Uh, yep. Yeah, if they've got an agreement to say they'll pay based on success and outcomes, then it's a very different conversation than, yeah. Like you said, trust me, if it will work, it will work. <laughs> yeah. No, very, very good. That's a, that's a good idea in terms of um, testing your market because people go out and sometimes just say, we like to, would you pay for this? How much would you pay for this? Yes, yes, oh, they'll pay for it. But it's really having an agreement in place is a is a big step forward than than saying yes i will pay for this it's a very different thing yeah yeah, and and just on that point uh and this is something we talk to a lot of people about is when you're getting uh, a a potential customer to trial a product actually map out what does success look like Mm -hmm. like what what is you know for the customer to say yes i will buy that product you know, what are the success criteria and making sure they're really clear before the trial starts. Uh, but secondly, have yeah. it in agreement that if you hit all of those those mm-hmm. points, yes. that they will buy it. Okay. Um, and it tends to sharpen up these, these proof of concept things. So you start to, and it's harder to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're really locking the potential customer in. So yes. it's a harder process. Well, it's a sell now. It's not just giving something away to trial, is it? Yeah. It's a very well, difficult conversation. But you're going to work with better customers yeah. that are actually and keen to solve that problem too. Setting up an agreement yep. to say, this is what we're going to deliver mm. and it will work for you. Yes. Mm. And then, yeah, you'll remunerate us. Yeah, I'll say... <laughs> I think that's an interesting point because I see it as a bigger commitment from both parties. Um, mm. You might be just building a product and then say, yeah, trial it, see what it's like. Uh, if it falls over, that's that's okay. It's just a trial. Um, but now you're saying, okay, if it falls over, maybe there's implications on our end. Um, but if we actually succeed and prove that we can do this for you, you're committing from your end too. So I think it's a better tangible trial as well. Uh, it's not just about, here, try this. And there's buying from everybody along it because... We've been involved. We run a, a startup business ourselves in, in the pharmacy space. It's a SaaS product. Um, 
and I, I think we'll take some of these points away from this because we've put trials in the hands of some people and they haven't looked at it. They said, yeah, yeah, we'll do this. This is great, fantastic. And then a month later, they haven't touched it, looked at it, and you think, okay, are you trolling this thing or um, you're not yeah. interested at all? No, no, we're interested. It's got busy. But I think we all get busy in this world. But if we can, yeah, I think that's a really good point to set some goals and objectives in and place. Then, yeah, we've got another yeah. client that probably share some of these points with. They've done half of what you're suggesting to do. So they yes. went around and canvassed some retail stores in their city because that's who their customers are. And they mm-hmm. said they've got 30 people said, yep, they would use it. Mm-hmm. But there's no agreement in place, I don't yep, think. It's just a verbal saying, yeah, we'd use it. And yes. yeah, we'd agree to that cost. Yeah. But there's no agreement saying, yep, yeah, once we're ready, mm-hmm. we'll have 30 customers who are agreeing to pay this and we will provide them with X. Yeah, it's a yep. very different conversation, yep. isn't it? Yeah. Yep. And, and where this first came up, uh, it was about two years ago, um, and I was uh, doing some work with some venture capital groups over in um, in the US, and we were okay. talking about, um, I can't go into the detail, but it was a yep. whole range of different technologies. Mm-hmm. But um, we were talking about the biggest problems they were facing, and it was uh, that people kept coming up saying, oh, yeah, I'm trialling this product. I mean, here are my trial results. Uh, with these five customers and they were saying that they'd been sucked in because you know they used to believe that but all that trial was demonstrating was that that startup had managed to find five people that like playing with shiny new things yep. uh, <laughs> yeah that's that's where they they wanted more evidence that around well what is success you know, was it a successful trial and did the customer buy it in the end mm. that's a completely different validation point from a venture capital firm yeah mm-hmm. i think very interesting point i think as the 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 vcs learn through the process too because years ago they would have accepted yeah you got 20 30 people going to pay for it awesome uh, but they learn by experience as well right so yeah getting yep. something willing to, to commit is a very different conversation Mm. yeah like it no yeah, very very good it. insight there i think that's um something we can all take away if we're building products get it in the hands of customers trial it but have some key outcomes that you're looking to drive and get them to commit to paying something after that trial's finished i think it's a really good insight in terms of how you can actually trial things better and find probably people that are going to be more interested in the outcome rather than what you yeah. said about trialing shiny new things because they're very different people aren't they mm. yeah. oh, very much so yeah. no very good that's that's a good point for everyone so in terms of um, the yeah, next point so, on your model, um, proof of concept, so that's a data collection, so that's some things we can do around data. What's next? With product and service, um, the business model scalability, yeah, the issue is that uh, a lot of people build their business model around rolling something out into Australia and then they're going to go around the rest of the world. And so... Because they've actually designed the, the service or the, the, the software or the widget uh, around Australia, mm-hmm. it's really hard sometimes to scale it. And so what we tend to talk to a lot of people about is start working out, well, if you were going to sell into um, Japan, for example, tomorrow, how would you do it? You yes. know, would you use an um, enterprise over there? How would you do it? And then that actually should be the business model that you're replicating in Australia as well. You know, you might be the ones that are doing the reselling, but you know what I mean? You you actually think differently in terms of how this business model is going to roll out around the world. Um, And I think... And it's a different tip to what most people might tell you. Start in a small market, understand it and deliver it and trial it. 
Um, uh, no, not, but, not so much. I, yeah. I, I agree with yeah. that. It, yeah. It's starting in Australia yeah. still. It's starting yeah. with a small market. Yes. But it but it's, comes back to what we were talking before mm. around validation. Get it. So you can validate the business model for Australia, but you're actually not validating a rollout model. Uh, I get it. And so, so you're looking at validating so it's across more it. yep. operating like you're global, but starting local. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you so you treat so if you're in Melbourne, mm-hmm. you treat Sydney the same as if you would be selling to the US, mm-hmm. for example. Like, how would you roll out? Get it. In Sydney and Melbourne and, and okay. other places, mm-hmm. and so. You, what you're doing is then validating a rollout model, and it mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier to to adopt that wherever, um, rather than saying, "Oh yes, well we can do Sydney, we'll just fly someone up there," sort of thing. And- <laughs> yeah, we can do the US, we'll just fly someone up there, employ someone. Yeah, I think in terms of um, you get a little bit lost around your own world and your own patch, and if you're in Melbourne or you're in Sydney, you're generally going to find customers there. Uh, but something, yeah, like you said, overseas you're going to have different needs, different regulatory compliance models that we have to consider. So, yeah, starting in a small patch is generally what people tell you to do. But um, and starting there, I think that still makes sense. But like you're saying, is now you want to be at the same time exploring what else you need to be doing to ensure your product is fit for purpose nationally and also globally in certain countries you're targeting yep yep okay and because we've seen with a lot of business models they stall because they don't have that approach we had one client Mm -hmm. uh they're in the mining sector uh, and they had a sensor uh type technology Mm -hmm. and they were after a lot of accuracy and so they were sending teams uh, around the world basically putting these sensors in place in a particular way and they just couldn't scale the business. Uh, it was too expensive. Mm. Um, yeah, they needed highly skilled people. And so part of what we ended up doing was saying, well, actually, we have to change that business model that you're using because mm-hmm. you just, yeah, you know, to scale something like that yeah. is just going to be too hard. Yeah, it sounds human-centric. It. Yeah, it's a lot of people going to be needed to roll something like that out, which is, in this day and age, we're looking at how we can make things more efficient. But yeah, people are generally not efficient to a business model at the moment. Yeah. 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 No, no. So, yeah. So that's the other one there, and then, uh-huh. you know, with a lot of the others, uh, in terms of the complexity model, it's yes. it's around that whole how to mobilise resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so with that one, a lot of people think funding, um, rather than understanding what funding can actually uh, deliver or why mm-hmm. startups are, are going for funding, and it's to mobilise resources. Yep. So. People are, are trying to raise money into a startup to either employ staff or mm-hmm. resources yes. to conduct product development mm-hmm. or engage someone to do, you know, someone Some else's resources yeah. to yes. do things for you. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. about resources. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people get very caught up on um, on raising money rather than finding resources. So The money I'm just a, pays for the resource, right? That's all it does. Yeah. Correct. You're not interested in... The cash, the cash in a bag is fantastic, but you're going to spend it on something, aren't you? Yep. Yep. Okay. So, so if I um, say I need to engage uh, uh, someone to uh, build a prototype for me, mm-hmm. um, I've got a couple of different ways that I can approach that. I can raise money so I can go and pay someone to build that prototype for mm-hmm. me, or I can partner with them Yeah, that's... and work out a way where there's some 
And again, it doesn't always have to be equity. There's a whole range of different models people you use. Mm -hmm. And it's putting into practice this terrible word collaboration that everyone keeps throwing around. <laughs> um, yeah. And we see collaboration as actually just mobilizing each other's resources. And it's exactly, so, exactly what it is, though. You are just accessing resources and collaborating. Right. You're working on together to achieve a certain outcome and yep. dedicating time and resources towards us. That's, yeah, it is what it is. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, again, we've seen a lot of uh, really interesting ideas fall over because they get very hung up on raising money rather than mm. mobilizing resources and uh, they just get distracted by the money side. Yes, yeah, so money's one way to do it, but also partnering with other organisations. Um, even universities can be a way to approach these sort of things. Um, we've rolled out products with universities in tandem, yep. so just trialling. Um, I don't know if anyone's aware, but you can actually work with uh, student groups to build projects and generally great, great for prototypes. And that's, again, mobilising resources. It is a longer game, but if you don't have the capital, that's a way to get things started to showcase what you're working on. They're going to yep. make things easier once you get uh, six months, 12 months down the line. You've got something in your hand that's tangible um, that, that can be working at not the level that you're thinking but it's something that can showcase what you're doing it's just another way and there's many different ways we can find access to resources cost you nothing yeah, yeah it can cost yeah. you nothing in some cases depending on how you approach it yeah yep. no exactly and, and the university ones are a really good tip for, for people to be, yeah. be aware of um, we've used MBA teams in a lot of cases where they're doing you know pretty extensive market research yeah. and Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got on on uni groups that can do prototyping now and yes, things like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's there's ways yeah. of accessing the resources. And yeah. the re those resources, they want projects and they want real life projects. They don't want to be right. working on a, a textbook project that doesn't mean anything to anybody. Um, if you think back when you're a uni student, you wanted to be working on things that were relevant to what you're work, work, working towards, um, not just uh, things that were 20, 30 years old. So yeah, that's yeah. The, the relevance there. We've had another client who worked with a university to develop a prototype of their product over the course of a year for no fun, for no money and then he ended up getting funding from overseas because based had, off the back of that based off the back of that was yeah. the concept was proved yeah and proven. then he would go ahead and then build the real technology so it is a clever way to do things yeah no yeah. exactly yeah and so yeah so um a lot of other things that around just getting the right management and technical skills on board mm -hmm. as they're growing you know growing a company and things like that uh the other one goes back to what we we're talking about earlier on too about that agile and things is just reporting yep um so we see a lot of really interesting ideas and startup companies going off the rails because they don't actually have reporting rigor in okay. terms of mm -hmm. what this is what we plan to do this is uh you know what worked what didn't work let's then re refocus what were you going to do next and so whether that's an advisory board or just a you know a couple of sort of you know externals that you can bounce ideas off or whatever um you know we see that as a bit of a problem mm -hmm. and so you um, mentioned advisory board there so yep. um I touched upon this with a few people what are your thoughts on building an advisory board behind like a, a startup world or a product that you you may be a knowledge yeah, industry expert in that space but you generally don't have all the bits and pieces that a business needs what are your thoughts on building an advisory team or a team of people around you that can help you um, push the product forward a little bit quicker yeah, and um, I think they're good. Uh, it it comes back to how you use them okay. and how you make them work for you as a business. So I've sat yes. on both sides. I've had advisory boards and I've been on advisory boards. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, 
the the big thing is um, you can get uh, free advisors on board. Yes, and uh, and that works. Mm-hmm. But always recognise you get what you pay for. Uh, yeah, so often always. it very much is an all, all care, no responsibility, but yeah, which it. is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can still provide really good insights. Yep. Um, you can get into more paid advisory boards, which is more for larger organisations. Okay. Um, and again, you, you just stack the the advisory board with skill sets that you need mm-hmm. at particular points in time. Um, so, and there's, yeah. You mentioned you've done, you've sat on an advisory board and you also had advisors on your startups. So what are some of the key things that people should be looking for? How would they engage with their advisors once they bring them on? Just say, um, for example, um, I'm, I'm starting up a business, um, we're in the tech space, but we know nothing about, uh, just say it's the pharmaceutical industry. We go and bring on domain expert in that space as an advisor. How would we engage them? Would be um, set up? consistent check-ins with them how would you recommend approaching that yep so the the best ones that i've seen is when you actually treat them as a as a board and you have uh two or three people in the room at Mm -hmm. the same time yep um because what tends to happen is um essentially then the management team's reporting on where things are up to. So it's mm-hmm. an efficient way of doing that, number one. Yes. But secondly, you start to get the advisors bouncing ideas off each other. So you might have someone that's very up on, say, marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might have someone that's very much you know, focused on product development. Mm. But again, getting back to the whole thing, the whole thing has to fit together somehow. So just getting independent marketing advice and independent product development advice generally won't work. You need the, the the combination. So it's better to actually get the groups together in a lot of ways and just have those discussions. And um, and again, whether they're every couple of months or you, know, you set a time frame mm-hmm. where it adds value because the purpose is for those people to provide insights to the management team. The role of the management team is then to implement those things if they deem them to be what the company needs. Understand. So... Um, I think the one thing you mentioned earlier was collaboration. So you're looking for your advisors to collaborate on the same objective. So if you've got, like I said, the marketing person in the room and the main expert in the room and the market person says, let's do this, and they say, and the other person says, no, there's a regulatory problem, we can't do that, um, it's quickly shot in the foot rather than working on a campaign that may not work. So very good insight around working collaboratively, I think, yeah, without, with partners, with advisor, advisory boards and setting up uh, consistent check-ins and treating them like a board, not just a coffee um, with one person at a time every so often that's not really scheduled or actual no structure to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Having those siloed, siloed ideas don't add much value. No, they don't. Yeah, you sort of get stuck in the, in the frame of... Yeah, even when we're sharing and spitballing ideas yeah. in a brainstorming session, it's great to have different opinions and different perspectives and everyone's got their own experiences and will give you different insights along that way. And generally, one, as they say, two heads are better than one, three are better, mm. than, better than two and so on. So you're probably going to create better experiences um, and better outcomes by having more people in that room. But not too many. We don't want fifty. <laughs> oh gosh, no. Yeah, and, and it is, and it's it's changing them around too. Yeah. And um, it's what's the key focus of the business now? Um, so okay. mm-hmm. if it's uh, we're doing a lot of work with with universities, and we need someone that really understands the research space, where well, you get someone on board um, after six months or twelve months, 
that may change and say you get them off the advisory board and you bring someone else on. And so mm -hmm. that's the beauty of advisory boards. You can flip people around as you need them. Mm. So, Yeah, and you mentioned there understanding what the business wants for now. And I think the whole model that we're talking about here is all about the now um, and then continuously checking in. So checking your advisors is a good point. Now diving in, I think your next one on the list is um, the supply chain. Supply chain, um, making sure it can actually deliver. Yes. So a lot of people, you know, particularly startups, get very focused on what they are doing, mm -hmm. not realizing that often they're sort of fitting into a broader system. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you're, you know, needing to use distribution channels, can you use those? So say with uh, food products, um, a lot of people, uh, they'll start off by saying, yep, and we're going to sell into Coles and Woolies and, you know, other major supermarkets without understanding anything about supply chains. <laughs> yep. Yeah, how do I actually so, get into Coles and Woolies, et cetera? Yep. Correct. I mean, yeah. And even if, if that's yeah. the way they should be going. Yeah. Um, okay. A lot of people do, uh, well, the classic we always come across is we're going to produce this in China. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Everyone says that probably. Yeah. yeah. And, and we say, okay, well, yeah. that, that's great. So who do you know there? Yeah. How is that all going to work? Mm -hmm. And um, if you, you're doing that or, you, you know, how's warranty systems going to work? Mm -hmm. um, if you're using externals, you know, all of this stuff. So, yeah. Again, looking at it from a system perspective. Uh -huh. so um and how it all yeah, comes together. So would that be going sort of back to your example before with that ag company where they're installing the sensors? If they were outsourcing that to another business, that business has to scale with them. Right. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It's not necessarily, yeah, that supply chain, like logistics, like you expect, uh, think that comes to mind. It's that workforce has to grow with you for anyone that's a third party mm -hmm. that you're relying on to do anything, really. Mm. Yep. No, that's, that's exactly it. And, yeah, it, it's sort of... Being aware of that, so uh, a lot of people use Amazon Web Services and everything like that, which is great. Um, not many people ask the question, well, what happens if uh, that all changes? You know, how, how yeah. do we... How do we you know, shift and move? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting question to ask because you can lock yourself into those technologies. Um, oh, you can a lot of hair pulling and some long nights. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, understanding how not to lock yourself too far in is probably a good thing. You want to be yeah. flexible in a business. You don't want to be reliant. Um, and you want to have the ability to change. So, yeah, they're good questions when you're digging into yeah. all different angles. Yep. yep. And then um, one of the other ones there is just, just general sales and marketing. Um, okay. So we've, and this is probably more within larger corporates. We've yes. seen um, traditional sales approaches being used for early stage yep. you know, products and services. Mm -hmm. um, and a number of times companies have come in saying, yep, we've built this new product. Here's all of our marketing material. Um, and this is how we're going to sell this. And we sit there and say, so, yeah, have you done what validation? Yes. Things like that. No, 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 we've just built this yep. and our marketing team have put together all the marketing collateral. That's ready to go. Yep. And it's ready to go. <laughs> and so, again, we've seen a lot of really interesting products and services just fall over because the no one's really pulled it up and said, well, okay, well, how do we sell to an early stage customer? Yeah, interesting. Okay. Compared to traditional yeah. ones or, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense because you, you see it all. And that's really diving into a little bit around the standards, around the innovation stuff we were talking about earlier in the conversation um, mm -hmm. and building those systems in place to allow for that innovation to occur. And it's um, more targeting the customer that you're 
targeting at that point in the curve. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good so point. So it's a different so value proposition yeah. for yeah. the early adopter than it is the late adopter. Yep. And the late adopter will come on because the market's proven that the concept mm. works and then they see, yes, it's been validated, yeah. it's been tested, it's not just an idea anymore. There's hundreds, if not thousands of users on this thing or buying this product, whatever it may be, and then they'll come in. Yeah. And We're an early adopter probably different. is more towards the dream. Yes. And the idea of the thing, not yeah. the thing itself. Yeah. Yeah, they're a different mindset. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a different value proposition to market to them. Yeah. yeah. That's why, yeah, yeah, the standard models don't work. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the so do you find so that yeah. that impacts the we're not um focusing too much in the corporate world on this podcast, but do you find that um the corporate world's generally got their current customers and then they think they're just going to sell something to them, but they don't realize that they made a new product which requires a whole new education and buying cycle. And if it's mm-hmm. not proven, they're generally going to jump on board just because they know you. Do you find that that is one of the biggest issues that they, you find in corporate space? So that, that's a that's a big one. And yeah. um, linked in with that is they've mm-hmm. got um, traditional selling infrastructure um, so yes. they might have uh, yeah. salespeople. Uh-huh. So what they're trying to do is to use, um, if you like, the assets that they've got. Get it. To yeah. try to sell a, a new product or a service. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it works, but yep. sometimes it's a case of sitting back and saying, well, actually, if we were starting from scratch, mm-hmm. how would we really do this? Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. that's, sometimes it's a hard thing. And look, at the end of the day, it, it comes back to business. Um what makes sense and from a, a larger corporate perspective it's about maximizing the value of the assets and um mm-hmm. you know, it may not make a lot of sense to a lot of people but that's <laughs> you know they've been successful they're still making money and things like that but Correct. they might have to change down the track mm-hmm. uh, we, the biggest shift we see is when people move from a product based into a digital service type based environment and then often they just need uh uh, I suppose, if you like, different business models, different ways of approaching things. Yeah, because you can't repeat what you've originally done because it just doesn't make sense in that world. Um, and the challenge yeah. in that space is there's so many, so much red tape and hurdles to go through to actually deliver upon it. So, um, yeah, no, interesting conversation. We might share that, have a bit more of a chat about it at a later point. But, yeah, I love um, understanding the dynamics of the corporate culture and how um, they can innovate. And it is a challenge because of the, the way they do business. And the models that exist now. Yeah. yeah. And and it's probably worthwhile mentioning that yeah. on the flip side, we spoke earlier on about understanding customers. Yes. It's, it's sort of understanding mm-hmm. um, how decisions are made in large corporates, how decisions are made uh, within a supply chain environment, within a government agency. Um, so we come across a lot of startup founders that get very frustrated with um, with working, say, with government. I'm a, and um, how slow it is. <laughs> and how slow. Yeah. But, but then yeah. but on the flip side, we yeah. say, have you ever tried working with a multinational? Yeah. Uh, because the bureaucracy it's and a, the it's, speed, it's pretty a, much the same. Yeah, there's not much difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. can take it 12 months, maybe more to sign a contract. Yeah, it takes a lot of time yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think a, a big thing is for people to understand that that's the operating environment. So you don't get frustrated by it. Mm. You just you, What you need to do is to understand the system yeah. and how to work with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so sometimes it's a question, you know, it's a case of asking the question, well, okay, we're, you're, you're sort of, we're talking to you about this. Who do you need to convince internally? What information do you need to help get this through your process? Um, 
And so you're actually working with them because they get frustrated as well. Oh, you know, they're in the, again, yeah, they're in that yeah. in that bubble, and they basically want to have things move faster too, like you said. But yeah, that's just the way it is internally. So yeah, whatever you can do to help each other is a good place to start. Now, last thing on the list is um, wrong and poorly defined problems. Uh, how do you, as a business, yeah, we can clearly dig in and understand, all right, there might be a problem here, but is that the root problem? So what do we do to actually dig in to understand that a little bit more? Yeah, there's a pretty simple way to do it, and that's mm-hmm. to just ask the question, what causes that? So so what we tend to find mm-hmm. is that a lot of people um, see a problem and they focus on that as being, and essentially, often it's a high-level problem. Okay. So mm-hmm. they start to build a, a product or service solution around that particular um that that problem area mm-hmm. uh, without understanding what causes that problem yes, so yep. a problem is actually made up of underlying problems mm-hmm. and so that's the easiest way we find for people is just to ask well we think this is a problem what causes that problem yeah that's just yep. a basic simple way to do that and, and i'll dig in a little bit more around what the root cause problem so yeah be. how we yeah. explain it as that's a symptom not the problem Generally, when you diagnose yeah. it, yeah, yeah, that makes makes good sense. So this this model is obviously something you've um, built over the last thirteen years um, and put together in terms of a framework. It's something we'll share out with the podcast so that people get an understanding of what it looks like. But some really good content yeah. around how people can begin to understand really the complexity of ideas, and that's why we wanted to share this podcast with you because. In, in reality, we might think, all right, there's a problem here. Let's solve it by doing this, and you start working on it. But none of this other stuff is actually considered until it's probably that far down the tree that, oh, we didn't consider X, Y, Z, or the regulatory challenges, or whatever it may be. Um, and we want to avoid people from doing that. So that's the whole point of sharing what you're doing here. So really appreciate you coming on and sharing this. And then, this yeah, today. providing this framework and having you discuss it, it's almost like whoever's listening has you as an advisor on yes, board correct. to explain some of these points and get those <laughs> yeah. insights. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing to hopefully that someone can take and run with and improve yeah. what they're doing. Oh, sorry. I was about to say, look, uh, hopefully it has yeah. been of, of yeah. help. Like we, yeah. We've been involved with hundreds and hundreds of, of startups and technologies and, yes. um, you know, we, we like to see everyone succeed. So hopefully this has sort of jogged someone's, you know, thinking around, yes. geez, I haven't checked on this or maybe I need to go and check on that. Mm. And, um, if that's an outcome from, from this podcast, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what we're hoping yeah, for. Yeah, that's too. what we're hopeful. So in terms of Brian, what um, just to wrap it all up, I'd like to explore what drives you. Obviously, you've been doing this for a little while. What's, what fascinates you in the industry of innovation and what are you perceiing as the next five, ten years, where, where it's all going? What do you starting to see in the marketplace? Yeah, so um, I suppose the thing that really drives me is uh, outcomes mm-hmm. and okay. helping to, uh, if you like, develop next generation uh, businesses. So whether that's established businesses that are trying to transform mm-hmm. or uh, whether it's uh, you know, startup businesses or new products and services that are coming to market through, say, licensing deals and things like that. Um, I suppose I've uh, been very fortunate in my career. I've been involved a lot in, in systems thinking and understanding how to sort of navigate a lot of this complexity, and that's the mm-hmm. thing that I really enjoy. Um, where it's all going um, is in Australia, compared to a number of other countries, uh, we're maturing fairly rapidly when mm-hmm. it comes to, um, uh, I suppose, not only support, structures to support startups um, yes. and also corporate innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, I suppose, um, 
the number of people that are, are building skills in the space. Yes. So um, what we're seeing is uh, a lot more, um, you know, and I know this sounds terrible, but sort of failed entrepreneurs that are coming back for second and third goes at things. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really important. Um, Although the experience that they have, yeah, failing, oh. yeah, that's that we need that. Um, the last thing as a failed entrepreneur you want to do is walk away because you're dropping all that experience that you've paid for, basically. So yeah, take that, move forward, and continue to evolve. Yep. yep. No, that's exactly it. Yeah. And and I think what we'll start to find is uh, we're getting more and more people that have got this experience that can impart it onto mm -hmm. onto startups and. You know, and help them, you know, I suppose, get there faster with less risk and, and things like that. Um, I think the other thing that will start to happen in uh, hopefully in, you know, won't be five years, it might be shorter, uh, but it's to start changing some of the, uh, I suppose, the, the rhetoric a little bit around startups. So there's still a lot of talk about a uh, number of startups and amount raised and things like that. Um, hopefully we'll start to see more of a shift into, um, you know, the number of new products and services that are in the marketplace, the, the number of exits that are, are doing major deals overseas, mm -hmm. uh, number of exits, dollars at exit and things like that. And that's, again, that's just something that takes time. Oh, it's a long game. It's not something that's mm -hmm. going to take a year. It's a long-term investment into innovation and yep. technology. And in this country, it's it's pivotal for us to be investing in this space um, and evolving as an economy um, in terms of yeah, relying on mining resources and not going to be something that can continue to drive us forward. I think we need to start looking at how we can deliver the next phase of what Australia has to offer. And we all... Uh, knowledgeable people in this country and we've got a lot of expertise and I think we can deliver more than what we're doing right now um, mm. so I'm interested to see how it plays out and I and in terms of where I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of um, investment into technology now there's a lot of going on especially corporate world a lot of startups there's always new and interesting ideas coming about um, and it's becoming like what is how long is a business model going to last? Because um, we're moving so fast, you could roll out a product mm. only maybe last two to three years and it's gone. So um, I'm starting to to think that maybe we'll end up in a world where we're rolling out different technology that services us for a period of time, similar to like we had a a, a, product, a new product in, in the world of maybe a soft drink, for example, and uh, people liked it for a period of time and then they moved on. And I, I'm thinking we could end up there, but it's, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think that I think you're right there. And linked in with it is yeah. to get the focus back onto that's all about business. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. it, it at the end of the day, uh, it's about new products and yeah. services, um, it, and and that's ultimately what the end game is. Mm -hmm. And the more that we have the discussion around outcomes, yes. uh, the better. Yeah, outcomes are the only way to drive business results, right? Now. Mm -hmm. um, just to, just to wrap up, um, I always like to ask this question. If uh, you're, and you probably have a great way of answering this, um, you're dealing with a new startup that comes to you, what's the first thing you tell them to do? Uh, they've got a concept, they've got an idea, they want to do this. Where do you tell them to start? What, are, what generally would be the piece of advice to say to that startup, what do I do now? Yep. So what we do, uh, we've actually got a process that we use for, yep. for new startups that come to us. Um, okay. 
We've got another tool uh, mm -hmm. that we, we take them through. Yes. And uh, it assesses four areas. It assesses uh, where they're up to in their technology okay. or their service development area, mm -hmm. uh, how much they really know about their target market. Yes. Uh, the third one is how much they really know about their manufacturing and distribution. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth one is how much they really know about their revenue and cost model. Which covers uh, a lot um, of what we discussed today, doesn't it? So it covers those facets. Um, I think you mentioned yep. this. It's more of like a readiness. How how would you rate your business, basically, in terms of where it currently sits? And it's interesting for yep. people to start from there. Yeah, yeah, and, and we find it's really useful mm -hmm. because what we can do yeah. is um, with that assessment, um, if they're scoring low numbers, they've got a lot of assumptions, yes. and if they're scoring high numbers, they've got facts. Okay. And, and what it lets us do is to start to have a conversation around what more, you know, what's the additional data they need to be collecting. So how do they collect mm. more facts? Yes, and where are the gaps? And what's the, yep. yeah, and what do they need to focus on and, um, and things like that. So, yeah, that's what we generally do as a, as a kickstart. I'd love to, um, if you're open to it, to sharing it out to our community as well. Um, if that's something that you're willing to do, just to share out what you're doing in that space. Um, yeah, it's very good to yep. how we can help the startup world. Now, I know that you're involved in a lot of things um, and helping. You've got you're, you're running innovation programs in gov in um, the Queensland government um, and doing different things, as well as you've got some training courses. How if someone's in in the frame of especially in that Queensland little pocket, um, looking for some help, how do they reach out and find you and maybe jump into some of your programs? Yeah, sure. So, um, so the best thing is to go to our website. So it's impactinnovation.com. Yep. Uh, so on there, we've got uh, links to, uh, I suppose, a lot of the webinars that we run. Uh -huh. um, we've got a, uh, an innovation lab, which covers, it's not um, 101 stuff, it's more masterclass mm -hmm. uh, around uh, research management, innovation management, things like that. Not very good. Um, we've got webinars being run for startup founders all the time mm -hmm. and uh we run two big programs at the moment for the Queensland government. Uh -huh. uh, one's called Innovate Queensland and the other's the Female Founders Program. Uh, and they've got a combination of, uh, there's a number of face-to-face -face, um, activities for those that are based in Queensland, but then there's also a range of uh, webinars and online activities as well that you know, anyone can get involved in. Oh, very good. So, yeah, everyone go check out Brian and um, what they're doing at Impact uh, Innovation. And I'm sure, yeah, we set you on a good path in terms of your uh, concept ideas through from startup right through to corporate. So thank you, Brian. Really yeah. appreciate you joining us and um, sharing your model around idea complexity and how people can um, find the gaps that they need to fill in and um, the knowledge that they need to bring in to yeah take away from the assumptions and move them to facts. Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian, and yeah, hopefully we've helped someone today. Yes, cheers. Yeah, with, with any luck. Yeah, okay, <laughs> bye. Cheers. Cool.